It's International Women's Day 2023, which is something to celebrate in and of itself. But there's more to celebrate. It's 2023, which means that Helping Our Women has been serving women living with chronic or serious health conditions on the Outer Cape for 30 years. I'm Gwen Guzzo, your host and the executive director at Helping Our Women, a nonprofit resource center that was started in Provincetown back in 1993. As we look forward to the next 30 years serving women living with chronic or serious health conditions here on the Outer Cape, I thought it would be interesting to talk about ways that artificial intelligence will be influencing how we receive or consume healthcare and wellness. So I invited my friend, Professor Jennifer McCricker, to talk about issues related to artificial intelligence and how it affects women's health and healthcare and related ethical issues. Jennifer is on sabbatical from Drake University, where she teaches philosophy. Welcome, Jen. Thanks for joining me today. My pleasure. I wasn't sure how to start today's interview, and then Sunday's New York Times provided opening prompt with an article about how AI, artificial intelligence, is being used to improve breast cancer diagnosis. Before we turn to that article, I'm hoping you can share some background about how you became interested in teaching about AI and artificial intelligence and ethics. Oh, well, that's it. That I... Um... I guess I got interested in it because there's a lot of talk about it, and it's something that interests people, and it's everywhere. It's everywhere, even if you don't think it's anywhere. Um, it's in your phone. It's in your, like, what what ads you see. Um, so I just got really interested in the pervasiveness of it. Um, I think one of the key moments that I got interested in it was talking about AI in the election um, hmm between Clinton and Trump. There was some interesting stuff where AI was being used there. But yeah, I mean, it just, it was an interesting topic and students are interested in it. So started teaching a class and there you go. Well, when people talk about AI, um, what is artificial intelligence? I know um, you're teaching about artificial intelligence and ethics, so you're not here as an expert per se, but as someone who's done a lot of reading. What should our listeners be thinking about, at least for the purpose of today's conversation? Yeah. AI actually doesn't have a specific definition. Um, there are a bunch of things fall under the rubric of artificial intelligence. The one is simply big, big data and the ability that we now have to gather a massive amount of data. And then the computers are able to work fast enough to be able to notice patterns. Um, And those are patterns like picking up on the fact that women who are pregnant have a tendency to buy blue um, bath mats, Um, things Mm -hmm. that humans wouldn't necessarily pick up on. But when you have a large enough data set, the computer can start to see these correlations. And that's important that they're correlations, they're not causations, but they can see correlations. So that's that's one thing is big data um, and the ability to simply look at a whole bunch of data and compare things. Mm -hmm. The other way of thinking about artificial intelligence is what you see in science fiction movies of um, computers that have consciousness. Mm-hmm. That is not what we're, what most people are talking about. Um, that is, if that were to ever happen, it is far on the horizon. So these days when people are talking about artificial intelligence, they're really largely talking about big data and the ability to, to use algorithms to make relatively good predictions. I know that um, in this New York Times article, I was scanning through some of the comments. And one of the comments that was helpful for me 
picks up on a point you just made. They said, why do people keep just talking about AI? They should use the term pattern, pattern recognition software, that that's really what or a large part of what AI is about, to your point about just recognizing patterns. And so here's a question for the philosophy professor, and I guess it's pretty broad, about when you say ethics, <laughs> she's spitting out her water, <laughs> would you tell me what it is um, that you'd like our listeners to be thinking about or understand from a point of view of ethics? Sure. Um, <clears throat> so I'm going to go into like serious professor mode, and if this is pedantic, that is just what professors are. Um so ethics, from my perspective, as I teach it, as it is a tradition within philosophy and then also religion, is the question of how ought we to behave um, if we are interested in doing the moral thing. And what's important as a, as a thinker in this area is that you don't simply assume that your already held beliefs are the correct beliefs, mm. because we know that the beliefs that we have about what's right and wrong are a product of socialization. Mm -hmm. They're a product of how we were raised, where we were raised, what we're rebelling against, what commercials we watched as a kid, all of this. So we're socialized to believe certain things, but what ethics as a field of study is interested in is figuring out, well, we know what we believe, but what should we believe? And so what, how should we be responding to this? And what is the right way to move forward or should we not be moving forward at all? That's a really, really condensed version. Thank you. Thank you for condensing it. That's that's helpful. So ethics is really, I, I have my own beliefs about the world, the way things should be, the way people ought to behave, the way I ought to behave. Um, but it's about reflecting on and being aware that just because I hold those beliefs, they might not be, quote unquote, correct or right, or from a different lens or a different point of view, that's where the difference might come in. Uh, yes. Okay, you could say no. Or... I would nuance it a little bit. I wouldn't put in quotes correct. Uh -huh. I would say, you know, from an ethicist perspective, like genocide is wrong. Even if everybody in the world thinks genocide is right, they're still wrong. In the same way as if everybody thought that the world was flat, they're still wrong. Um, okay. So it isn't just a matter of perspective that, that part of... Part of ethics is about, no, like you could be wrong. A whole lot of people could be wrong. And so it's really about what is the, like, how can I get to the answer that I am most confident of? Now, of course, we being fallible humans can't arrive at a place of certainty. So we live in an imperfect world where we have um, limited information. And so we have to make decisions under uncertainty. So what the the idea behind ethics is that you get as close as you can to making sure that your belief is the correct belief. I see. Thank you for nuancing and clarifying that. So what do you like about teaching this class about AI oh my gosh. ethics? I love teaching this class um, for a couple reasons. One, um, at my institution, it's a required course for all students who are computer science majors mm -hmm. and all students who are data analytics majors and all students who are uh, part of the artificial intelligence concentration. Mm -hmm. And what's delightful about working with these students is they're students who are used to sitting in class and just taking notes, working out problem sets. They're not used to having discussions. Mm -hmm. um, 
And so getting them into a classroom where they get to think about these things and they really start to wrestle with them is so much fun because they come in thinking either A, that there are really obvious answers, and if, they're, and if the obvious answers aren't correct, then it's all just stupid and there's no right answer at all. Mm. And it's really fun to take them through and teach them how to think about these questions in a way that energizes the students and helps them to see the way of thinking that they are capable of, but they've never been introduced to. Um, and to help them to see that whatever job they go into, whatever they end up doing with their lives, either career or personally, they are going to be encountering ethical issues. And to simply say, it's my job, that's not going to be sufficient, um, at least not in my classes. Mm-hmm. And so that that's what's really exciting about it. And the students, they get a, they they spent a lot of time thinking about this stuff, and they've never had an opportunity to really talk about these ethical issues. So they get really excited. This is the class where students, I hear most frequently, students talking about they called their parents after class to Mm. talk about what we talked about in class. They go home to their residence halls and they're Mm -hmm. talking to their friends about this stuff. And I think it's just that it's something new for them and they get really excited about it. That does sound energizing to be uh, in the class, whether you're a student or a teacher. And I guess what I'm wondering is a, a concrete example. And I'm wondering if one of them might be, you know, we keep hearing in the press about chat bot GPT uh-huh. or whatever the new chat bot is that could write the paper mm-hmm. in response. Like if you assigned a paper in that AI ethics class, could I go into chat bot GPT and get it to write a paper for me that I could submit to you. Certainly you could. Yes. Yeah. You absolutely could. So what are your thoughts as a college professor about this 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 form of AI ethics? Or well, AI, not this form of AI. It's it's really interesting to me. Um, so when this first came out, of course my students are spend during a semester, my students have way more time to see what's going on in the world of AI than I do because I'm busy teaching and they're busy online. And so they came to me and they sh- they shared this with me. So I shared my thoughts and I was like, ah, it's not that big a deal. Now, of course, the whole world's blown up now and it, mm-hmm. it's, it became the thing to talk about for like four days or something. I think it's fascinating because it, what it does for us as teachers is it makes us really think about why is it that we want students to write? Hmm. What is it about writing that's useful? And so... Writing in and of itself, just like adding in and of itself, isn't particularly important. The fact that we have calculators doesn't take away from anything, at least not not obviously. Um, and so the question that I brought up to my students is, well, why? Okay, suppose that you could turn in a paper that was written by AI. Now, of course, professors would have to stop assigning papers because mm-hmm. now it's pointless. Um, but like, what is the the writing of the paper supposed to do for I the see. student? Yeah. And so that, for me as a teacher, that's the problem that comes up. And so how can I continue to achieve that end? Mm-hmm. So as you teach these classes around ethics and artificial intelligence, what is it you're hoping – well, you've talked a little bit about what you hope your students will take away. I guess what I'm hoping – questioning is, what do you hope our listeners listening to this short conversation here today um, might take away about artificial intelligence and ways to think about it 
from an ethics point of view? I, I think the the main thing is right now all AI innovation and all technological innovation is driven by for-profit industry. And there is very little regulation because industry moves much, much faster than government um, Mm -hmm. for very good reasons. Um, But the problem is the AI revolution is the regulations that we've had in the past, the laws that we've had in the past, Mm -hmm. because AI just so radically changes things the laws that we have, the regulations that we have, don't really address some of the problems that come up with AI. And so right now you have the people who are in the industry making decisions. Mm. Um, This is why Zuckerberg gets called in front of the Senate Mm -hmm. and the senators talk to Zuckerberg. And what Zuckerberg's trying to do is he's trying to make the case that government needn't regulate them. Ah. that they're able to regulate themselves. Mm -hmm. And so what I would hope is that people get more informed about what artificial intelligence is, how it's functioning in their lives, um, the ways in which it might be enhancing all Mm -hmm. of our lives, and the way in which it might be... um, in conflict with some of the values that we have as a as a country, um, and to really start to have the public play a much larger role when it comes to um, technological innovation. That mm-hmm. it's not just industry that's pushing everything, but that you have the public and citizens also having a voice. Because if you just have the technologists doing it, mm-hmm. there's a whole lot of people who aren't at the table um, yeah. whose, whose lives are being affected. And it's not that people who are in industry don't care about those folks. Mm-hmm. It's just that things don't occur to them that would occur to other people. And mm-hmm. so it's just it's important to have everybody's voice at the table. So that was leads right into um, my next question, mindful that this recording will be broadcast on International Women's Day, is, is there anything different or something else you would add or have to say about this, how women might want to or need to think about this any differently? Or I'm not even sure what the right question is to ask, but as you've been talking, I've been mindful of our listeners in a day of programming focused on this. I would say, so all of the stuff that I've read about AI, some of the big, so some of the biggest challenges are the way in which AI can be used to um, surveil people, Mm -hmm. which is an invasion of privacy, ways, I mean, AI fundamentally, at Mm -hmm. least the way that it's being used with big data is being used to increase efficiency. Um, One of the challenges of that Mm -hmm. is that when you're increasing efficiency in this way, Mm -hmm. there are some people who are going to be harmed by it. Um, For instance? Well, if you look at um, policing. Okay. Okay. So if you get pattern recognition, you'll see that a massive number of people who are incarcerated mm-hmm. are people of color. Mm-hmm. Okay, so now the the computer looks at this pattern, 
and has a huge data set, and the computer decides that people who are, it doesn't decide, the, the computer makes the connection mm -hmm. between being a person of color and committing crimes. Mm. Now, of course, that's illegal, so you can't do that. Or rather, you can't use that information, but you can use information about people's zip codes, you can use information about all these different things, and so what it ends up doing is saying this person who lives on this street and is goes to high school with this other person, they are flagged as being more likely to commit a crime. I see. And so that's one way that people can be harmed. So to back up, you asked about women. Mm -hmm. I would say the big, the, the biggest demographic that is at risk mm -hmm. with these sorts of programs are people who are poor. Yeah. Um, and as you look at things like providing housing, mm -hmm. providing um, social services, mm -hmm. that to a large extent, because single women are taking care of children, they have families, they are, women are going to be um, significantly affected because of the way in which AI is used to um, parcel out social services mm. because it's faster yeah. to have AI do it than to have a whole bunch of caseworkers doing it mm. because we don't have enough caseworkers. Um, so the consequence of this is that poor women are going to be more likely affected. It's also the case that when you're poor you, and you have needs, you're going to be far less likely to push back on anything. Right. If you feel like your privacy is being invaded, you're not going to push back. Mm -hmm. You need these services. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things um, that one author, and I can't think of her name right now, um, she says that the, the one thing we should ask ourselves when we create any sort of program that uses AI is, would this be protested in the wealthy suburbs? And if folks who live in the wealthy suburbs would push back on this, then we shouldn't be doing it for poor folks. Right. Um, and what happens is within the United States, we st we like might start something with the poor demographic. Once it becomes accepted there, then you start saying, OK, let's go up and start to include a little bit more people or a, a few more people. And it just becomes accepted. Right. And it shifts and changes the value. And then it's affecting all of us. Yeah. Well, thank you for those reflections. I um, want to assure our listeners, one, that helping our women is not about to nope. or has any plans to use any kind of AI um, to uh, work with. Uh, These are usually city-based things and yeah, state-based things. Yeah, <laughs> uh, large agencies. I am, if you're just joining us, I'm Gwen Guzzo from Helping Our Women, and we're talking with Professor Jennifer McCrickard about artificial intelligence, healthcare, and ethics today on Win. Um, International Women's Day. Um, and I think that I also wanted to highlight to our listeners when you spoke about um, poor or low-income people um, that the Cape Cod Healthcare's um, Community Needs Assessment that was just released at the end of 2022 or be, um, showed that both Provincetown and Wealthly have 
um, you know, out of the Cape Co- 15 towns on the Cape um, have some of the highest incidence or rates of people living at um, the lowest levels of income here in Barnstable County. So um, while we certainly have a fair share of people coming here and living in their second and third homes, um, we have... Um, significant rates of poverty here and people living and receiving services from a lot of agencies, many partners with helping our women. So I invited Jennifer, um, we're talking about AI, um, artificial intelligence, and I was um, prompted to to push on this conversation because the Sunday's New York Times had an article about using AI to detect breast cancer that doctors miss. And it cites breakthroughs and breast cancer screening that healthcare providers are achieving by using AI to read mammograms. And it talks about research and new practices in Hungary where systems are used on real patients at this point to help check for cancer that a radiologist might have overlooked. And obviously there are real benefits to catching cancer that humans might miss, and that appears to be what is happening. But I'm curious about your take, Jennifer, on this article. I know that's a a broad uh, <laughs> question about about just one article on this topic, but because it was related to breast cancer diagnosis, I thought it would be of interest to our listeners. I think it's a it's it's a fascinating article for a, for a, at least two reasons um, aside from the the content. Um, one is this is something that I've been reading about for probably the last two to five years that AI is being used to read Mm -hmm. x-rays and to basically get better diagnosis Mm -hmm. because AI is so much better at recognizing these these patterns. So that's that's the one thing that's interesting to me is just the time lag between what's around and then making it into the New York Times. The other thing that's interesting is this is an example that it's almost always brought up of here are good things AI can do because uh. there are so many criticisms of artificial intelligence regarding privacy, democracy, um, transparency, all this sort of stuff. But this is a sort what most people would say is a really clear cut case where AI is doing great good, and there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of it. There doesn't seem to be much of a downside. Um, so I find it really interesting on that front as well, because mm. usually people hear AI and they think um, of the latest movie that they saw where the robots were rising up and taking over. Right. Um, and and this is a, a way that AI is, is really beneficial. But the one thing that I would want to um, highlight is AI is a tool. Mm-hmm. And in, in, in this domain, the tool is very, very useful. It doesn't mean like AI is neither good nor bad. In the mm. same way that a hammer is good for hammering and nails, mm-hmm. there are other things that it's not good for, like breaking windows to break into somebody's house. So AI is, in, in, in this case, very positive, but it should be looked at as a on a case-to-case basis. I see. That's helpful. I was really excited to read about it, and though it was interesting to also see how doctors were concerned that, um, and the article does touch on the fact that, is AI going to replace radiologists? Right. And uh, 
And right. That's that is always a concern whenever you have a new technology. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm sure that when the car was invented, people were like, "Well, what about the people who make the horses' wagons?" Um, mm -hmm. You know, that's that's always going to be the case. What's interesting is that radiologists are not. Um, disenfranchised people who can't get other sorts of jobs. Usually, if you're working as a radiologist, chances are you have other that you could have had other job opportunities. So while it may be the case that radiology that the job description of of a radiologist shifts because computers are able to do some of the of the work that they were doing. Um, the work that the computer's doing is actually relatively tedious work. Mm. Um, so it's not like radiologists, like this was the, the best part of their job right. and they're gonna really miss it. Yeah, yeah, no, that's, well, it's exciting to see that there are advances and advances that will, advances that will help women in health and wellness. Um, I do wonder how your study about artificial intelligence has informed your own personal habits regarding any applications or tools that uh, utilize AI, things that you do want to have or don't want to have, uh, given the reading that you've done. I don't use Google. You search. don't? Use, oh, yeah. I don't use Google. I use a different um, – I use DuckDuckGo because right. they don't sell my, my information to companies, which probably doesn't make a difference. But – it's something that I try to do. I also um, won't have like a, things in my house that are going to be recording me, or go or like a ring that um, the door the the doorbell yeah that, the doorbell that is videoing people who are on the street. Mm -hmm. I won't have anything like that just because all of these are gathering information. Particularly the ring gathers information that the police can then access. Mm -hmm. The police can't do it. It's against the law for police to actually record mm -hmm. every single street. But the but homeowners can record their own street and mm -hmm. then the police can ask. And so it's a sort of end run around a lot of laws. So great. Anything else? Uh, so none of those uh, dots or echoes or things yeah, that no. you talk to. No, I'm not inclined to have those now. Because of the privacy issue. Because of the privacy issue. And, and I, selling data, is that it? Yeah, yeah, okay. selling data. Any final thoughts that you want to share today about uh, this topic? I don't think so. There, right. I mean, it's a, it's a huge field. You can't accept it all or reject it all. Uh, well, thank you, Jennifer. So how could listeners follow you? I understand that you'll be teaching at the Open University in Wellfleet. I will be teaching at, at the Open University at Wellfleet, and the topic is contemporary ethical issues. And I will leave it up to the participants who are in the class to choose what topics we will discuss. We'll be meeting five times, um, and the topics can be anything. Great. So, yes. All right. Well, thank you for joining us, Jennifer, and sharing your insights and approach to thinking about AI and its applications and some of the ethical issues to consider as we move forward, especially to a new phase of healthcare diagnosis with the support of AI. I'm Gwen Guzzo from Helping Our Women. Uh, we're a nonprofit that serves women living on the Outer Cape. You can find us at helpingourwomen.org or simply call the office, 508-487-4357, and you will get a person to talk to you, not a robot or an AI um, of any kind. This is the How Radio program here for you, and we are pleased to be a part of WOMR's International Women's Day programming. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.